It was 1994, and I was in Guatemala in a city called Chichicastenango on a mission trip. And earlier that day, we had been in the city and had observed which doctors that were in front of these churches, and they were praying and casting spells, and we had seen all kinds of weird things in the marketplace there, but I really, really didn't give it much of a thought. But later that evening, after we had gone to bed, and it was probably around the middle of the night, there was this huge weight that was on my chest. Felt like somebody was sitting on my chest. I couldn't move. There were dogs like barking in my ears. There was this very strong demonic force that had me pinned down. I literally could not move and I was dripping with sweat. There, this was not a dream. It was incredibly real. So in those situations, what do you do? See, this kind of attack had nothing to do with me being deceived. It had nothing to do with feeling condemned or I wasn't struggling with dealing with doubts. This was a strong satanic attack and it was amazing to me how many other people really have experienced fairly similar experiences. But again, in those situations and others, what do you do? How do you handle this? If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up with me to Ephesians chapter six. And as you're turning there, I want you to know that there are gonna be times when we must move beyond just standing firm and holding on to this position that we have through Jesus And we've got to engage the enemy in actual hand-to-hand combat. And I want you to know, there are probably gonna be probably five different times that you can expect to be attacked. One of those is when you're experiencing spiritual growth. When you're taking significant steps in your faith and you begin to grow, I just want you to know, you're gonna be attacked. I've told every guy that I've discipled over the years to consider the cost ahead of time because if you decide to take this step and you decide to grow in your faith and you wanna take your faith seriously, Satan is going to come after you with everything he's got. I explain the same thing to people that are gonna become elders. I explain the same to our staff and other volunteers that as you step it up, in your, whether it's in your giving, your serving, your discipleship, when you take the scripture seriously and you start growing, you are now a threat and he will come after you. The second one is when you are invading enemy territory. In other words, if you, if you, when you start sharing your faith or you're go, you, you decide to go on a mission trip or you get more involved, when you start trying to reach out for people to, to know Jesus Christ, then you are invading the devil's territory and you're gonna become a target of his. A third one would be exposing the enemy. And I'm, I'm usually in pretty consistent battles with the enemy just because of what I do for a living. And the devil wants for Psy Life to be taken out. Because as Psy Life makes an impact on this community, we start exposing his schemes, we start exposing his strategies, and what he does, how he works, how to combat him. I can assure you he's not happy with us, and he will do all he can to take me out, to distract me, to get me off course, to wear me out, to cause divisions or dissensions in our church, to get my focus on what it shouldn't be. He would prefer that you still see the devil as this cute little guy in a red suit with a pitchfork instead of who he truly is. 
You know, a fourth area is when you decide, when you decide to make a clean break from the world. See, when, when we repent and make a clean break from whatever it is that the, maybe the world has had a hold on us in, he's going to attack us. He wants you to stay in bondage to that sin and that guilt. He wants you to stay in that unholy relationship. When you try and break free and do what honors God, I'm just telling you, the attack is coming. And here is one of those things you need to be aware of. We, we tend to think that, well, since I'm trying to break free from something bad, then God will help me and make it easy on me and I should be able to stop. Well, the answer is yes and no. Will God help you and give you everything you need to overcome whatever it is that you're struggling with? Absolutely. But it will not be easy and you will have to do battle in this area. And the fifth area that you can probably expect to face some attack is future blessings. See, most of the time, right before God is going to do a great work in you personally or maybe with us corporately as a church, before you experience it, there is usually going to come a strong attack that's coming ahead of it. It just tends to be the pattern. It's one of those sayings that I've always been told, when you're experiencing a lot of spiritual attack, consider that a good thing because that means you're doing something really good for the kingdom of God and you have the enemy's attention. And, <laughs> and if you're like me, I'm saying I'd be totally fine with less attention, right? Feel free to go after somebody else. But what, but what we need to do is recognize where these attacks are coming from and we need to be able to combat them. So the question is, what are you going to do when you're bombarded with spiritual opposition? And how do we engage in this battle? So let's look at what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 10. We're going to do a little recap from the last couple weeks. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. In other words, the last five chapters that he's been explaining who you are now as a Christian and how you should live. And so because of that, you're going to face a lot of opposition. So he goes on, verse 11, put on, this is what we've been talking about, put on the whole armor of God. Why? He says, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the strategies of the devil. For we do not wrestle that hand-to-hand -hand combat against flesh and blood. It could be your spouse, your kids, your friends, your boss. He says, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, so because you are in a spiritual battle, he says, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, as we saw last week, we're, we're to stand firm because we've already won the war because of Jesus. And so he gives us these three defensive pieces of armor. He says, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. He says, in all circumstances, in other words, these next three pieces of armor should be with you at all times. These next three pieces of armor are critical as the enemy engages you. He says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish 
all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. So let's take the time to look at these next three pieces of armor. The first one that he mentions in, the, in this next three is the shield of faith. See, at that time, there were two types of shields. There was a, a small round shield like you might see in the movies, like with gladiators and so forth. But this is, this is not that kind of shield. This shield was about four feet high, had about two and a half feet wide. It was oblong and curved. It was made out of iron and had about two to three layers of bonded wood strips and then linen went over top of that and then a le leather cover over that and then they might even paint it. It, it, it would, on, the, on the sides, it would have these little hooks uh, so that they could hook on together and the Roman army would often be in a long row and they would all hook in together. See, these shields were very effective because the enemy would often dip their arrows in some pitch, light them on fire, and then fire them. And the soldiers would put these shields up and they would either bounce off those shields or they would extinguish those flying missiles, those darts, those arrows. And that's the picture that Paul is giving to us. And so, then the question is, so what is this shield of faith as it pertains to me? He's not talking about your faith that saves you, but a faith that you already have because you are saved. Your faith is in God and his promises and that he is going to keep his promise or his promises. So that when the enemy sends those fiery darts your way, it just deflects off of you because of your faith. Your shield protects you. And so what are those fiery darts that Paul mentions? He's talking about lies. He's talking about deception, temptation, gossip, divisive conversation. Those are his schemes. Now, get this down. The goal of the darts are to get you to shift your focus from God onto something or someone else. See, the ultimate goal is to get you to be afraid, to get you to feel guilty or condemned or to shift your faith and your dependency from God onto something or someone else. Blasphemous thoughts can be a dart. You could be spending time, you might have even experienced this, where you're spending time in prayer or Bible study, and the next thing you know it, your mind begins to wander off, and, and you start questioning the very existence of God, and, you know, is this whole Christian thing legitimate? And I mean, it happens. It's a fiery dart of the enemy. And the next thought is, what kind of Christian am I, if I that I'm having this intimate time with God, and then all of a sudden I'd be thinking those kind of thoughts, and then all of a sudden the guilt comes in, and the condemnation comes in. It's coming from the enemy. Another possible one is unresolved anger or hateful thoughts. You've justified why you can't forgive that person who hurt you or you, you have uh, almost these unreasonable thoughts of hatred or maybe revenge towards another person. You've, you've thought about that person who hurt you getting what's coming to them. It sounds horrible, but we've probably all been there and had all these thoughts. Or there are times when you know someone really well and all of a sudden you start to question their motives and you, you question their trustworthiness and it leads to unexplainable conflict. The enemy knows where you're either insecure or immature and so he stops, so he starts, 
so he starts dropping some doubts on you, those are fiery darts. Unexplained, overwhelming times of depression. I, I, and I don't mean like you're down because there's normal grief during difficult times. I don't mean that your body's not chemically working like it's supposed to be. I'm talking about times where it seems like someone just turned a switch and you're now really feeling down at the bottom and you can't seem to get out of it. Those are some of the fiery darts. It's how the enemy works. I'd encourage you to, to, at some point to even go back and, and look at Genesis 3 and Matthew 4 to really understand more how Satan's tactics really work and there's how Adam and Eve handled them versus Matthew 4, how Jesus handled them. And what you'll tend to see in most cases is that our enemy's tactics usually start off with a disguise by casting doubt on God and his word or on you and your worthiness. And if he can get you to think that God is cruel and God doesn't care, that he's harsh or that he doesn't love you, then he's got you. Then all of a sudden you think you're worthless. You're terrible. I mean, you call yourself a good mother. You call yourself a Christian. See, as long as he can get you thinking inaccurately about God or yourself or others, he starts to win. He's got his grips on you. And if that's not enough, in the midst of you being vulnerable and under attack, he then sets right in front of you a temptation that'll fall under the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. Listen to what 1 John 2 says. He says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, check this out, the lust of the flesh, these would be the things that our body sinfully craves. The lust of the eyes, things that we sinfully covet. And the boastful pride of life, these would be the things that you uh, maybe that cause you to puff yourself up. He says, this is not from the Father, but is from the world. And I just believe every single temptation that we see and that we experience falls into one of those categories. The flaming missiles, those darts, will exploit and appeal to your flesh, your eyes, or your ego. The enemy will make you vulnerable through doubt. And when he does, he sees an opening in your shield of faith and he's gonna aim right for it in one of those three areas. And I truly believe that the only effective way to respond is to believe what God has said. When we sense those darts of doubt and deception, we raise the shield of faith which can extinguish everything the enemy flings at us. We apply the specific truths of God's word to our personal situation as soon as we're aware of any incoming missiles. See, I, I've put some different examples in your notes for you to have as a resource. And so again, I'd encourage you to download those or print those off. But it raises the importance of you knowing scripture so that the shield of faith goes up much quicker. 
And in, the, in those notes, you can see there's areas of temptation versus promise, right? The temptation to sin, well, what does 1 Corinthians 10 say? Financially, what is Philippians 4, right? And you can just go down through those and there's plenty more. But the goal is to give you promises and scriptural truth so that you can combat those lies, those deceptions, those things that'll take you out. The second piece of armor is the helmet of salvation the helmet of salvation. See, this is a command for you to put your helmet on. It was usually the last piece of armor the soldier would put on, and it was made of usually bronze and, and leather. It was probably the most important gear because if you get hit on the head, you're out, right? So what does the helmet of salvation actually mean? What is, he, what is Paul talking about? What our enemy would love for you to think is that since you are now saved or you know, now that you're a Christian, that you're immune to attack, which is so far from the truth. The word salvation here in this passage is talking about the present deliverance from sin. Now, let me explain because this is so important and I don't want you to be confused. The moment you put your trust in Jesus as your savior, you are delivered from the penalty of sin. Romans 3.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. So when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for my penalty and freed me from death and gave me life, eternal life. So the power and the penalty of sin has now been taken care of by what, by, by what Jesus did on the cross. He saved me. So when we put on the helmet of salvation, it's having the confidence and the certainty that you've been delivered from sin. Well, guess where that battle's gonna be fought? In your mind. And that is why you have to put on the helmet of salvation to protect your mind. So the question is, how do we put on the helmet of salvation? Romans 12 tells us by the renewing of our mind. Listen to what it says. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And that word's in the passive voice, which means we have to allow ourselves to be transformed. You say, well, how do we do that? It goes on. By the renewing of your mind, so that your life may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. See, putting on the helmet of salvation is getting the truth of God's word in our minds in such a way as to protect you. The truth protects us. In fact, when Jesus was preparing his disciples for him to leave, he prayed this prayer to his father in John 17, verse 17, he says, sanctify them. In other words, set them apart to be made holy. You say, but how? He tells us, in the truth of your word is, your word, God's word, is truth. See, knowing the truth doesn't protect you. Applying it does. So you've got to renew your mind daily. Romans 8 tells us those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death, but the Spirit controls your mind leads See, the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. 
See, you need to understand the battleground is for your mind. And so when we put on the helmet of salvation, we are reminded and secure of who we are because of what Jesus did on our behalf on the cross. And now that the Holy Spirit lives within us, we can walk in victory and when we listen to his voice and we don't listen to our fleshly desires. So when all those arrows, when all those darts of doubt and guilt, insecurity, fear, anxiety, when all those start to creep in. Look what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. He says, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Now listen carefully. What is the worst thing that can happen to you in this life? Think about it. What is it? You probably say, death. Listen, when you're a believer and you die, who are you with? Jesus and all the splendors of heaven. See, when you're confident of your salvation and your mind is fixed on things above, there is nothing this world has to offer and it doesn't have its grips into you. Do you know why? Because I'm so secure in who I am because of who Jesus says I am. And I'm secure in where I'm going because of Jesus. And that's why the helmet of salvation is so important to us. So this third and last piece is the sword of the Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit. So you you have your shield. You have your helmet on. He says, now pick up the sword, which is the Word of God. And this, this isn't the big, long, heavy sword. This is that two-foot sword that you see in the movies that the Roman soldiers would use because this is used for close hand-to-hand combat. See, most of the time in Scripture, when, when mentioning the Word of God, it's the word logos. But here, it's translated rima, which means it's the spoken word or the words given to us by the Holy Spirit in order to be able to do close hand-to-hand combat with our enemy. And so here's what Paul's saying. We're to take the truth of scriptures and we're to quote them. We're to apply them to specific lies or deceptions that the enemy's trying to tempt us with. We're to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. See, Jesus modeled this. Now, if you have your Bible, you can turn over quickly maybe to, to Matthew chapter four. We'll put the verse up. And we're gonna see Jesus doing battle with the enemy. And I want you to, I just want you to look what happens. In Matthew 4, it says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every, what's it say? Word, that word means rima, that comes from the mouth. See, each time that Jesus was tempted, just like each time we are tempted, we need to respond, it is written. It is written. And speak out loud the truth of God's word right into that lie of the enemy, just like thrusting a sword into the heart of your enemy. And when you do that, listen to me, the devil will leave 
That's what it means to resist the devil. You resist the devil by putting on the full armor of God and by taking the sword of the spirit and coming against the lies with specific truths that apply to that situation. Are you starting to see why reading your Bible is so important? Why we talk about the SOAP method, scripture, observation, application, and prayer? Why it's so important for you to know the truth. When we talk about renewing your mind or meditating on scripture or studying the scripture, it's not so you can have some nice little devotional for the day or check off the box so you don't feel guilty. It's because this is an issue of life and death. You will lose if you aren't in the scriptures and the enemy will slice you to pieces if you don't come prepared. That's why I tell you, you can't just read those little daily breads and that be all you have because that doesn't cut it. You gotta be in the word of God. Look what Moses told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 32. He said to them, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but for your very life. He's saying God's word is your life. Listen to what Psalm 119 says. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up, look what it says, I have stored up your word in my heart. Well, why? He goes on, that I might not sin against you. See, God's word is a sword in the hands of a trained soldier and can be used for both an offensive as well as a defensive weapon. I, I, love, I love this passage in Hebrews 4. It says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's why when you're struggling, you need to ask if your thoughts are lining up with scripture. Is what you are believing about yourself in agreement with what the word of God says about you? He says, it's living, it's active, and it'll discern the thoughts and intentions. It's a powerful weapon. Well, let me go back to the hotel room in Guatemala that I started off with and tell you what I did in that moment of demonic attack. As I sat there physically paralyzed, I started to say scriptures out loud. I started quoting, greater is he who is in me than he is in, who is in this room, right? In the name of Jesus and through the blood of Jesus, I cast you out of here. You have no place here because I am a new creation in Christ. I am a child of God. Leave now. And I'm telling you, all of a sudden, that pressure off of my chest left. The dogs that were barking in my ears all of a sudden were no longer. I could move my arms now and I could, I could wipe the sweat off my face and I just started praying and singing. I walked away from that moment. It strengthened my faith and it made the reality of that battle much clearer to me. And then Paul says that there's another part to this. Paul tells us there's another specific, very important 
weapon that you need to use. And that's where we're going to pick up next week. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray that we would not ignore these weapons, that we would not take this lightly, that we would not fall into the traps that this is not a big deal. But Lord, this is a significant, real war. And we're called to fight it and battle it every single day, not in our own strength, but in the strength and identity that you've given us through the power of the cross and the resurrection. God, that we would stand firm in the truth of the gospel, that we would stand firm in the truths of your word, and that as those fiery darts are coming after us left and right, and sometimes it can feel like those darts are even coming from our spouse or from family members or at work or wherever it might be, God, that we would resist not in our own strength, but God, that we would resist those by putting up our shield of faith. Lord, that, that we would put on that helmet of salvation, that we would be reminded that this is a battle for our minds, that we wouldn't question your goodness, your, your, your ability to keep your promises, but God, that, that we would be strengthened in knowing that you will always do what you promised to do. And God, as those fiery darts keep coming left and right. God, that we would link shields together with other believers, that we would stay in community in our small groups, that we would, that we would link arms with one another to uphold and hold each other up as we go into these battles. And God, I specifically pray for marriages because I know a ton of them, especially through all this COVID stuff, they have been attacked left and right. God, I pray that couples would choose to quit battling against each other and realize this is an attack against their marriage and their life and that they would fight for one another, they would fight for their families and they would fight for the restoration and reconciliation of their marriages. God, I pray for the family unit. Lord, that you would continue to strengthen families, that they wouldn't be exhausted or wore out because you know, the change in schedules and the kids being home more often and now maybe possibly homeschooling or are they gonna send their kid off to school or whatever it might be, God, that you would strengthen them, you would give them resolve to fight those battles, that you would strengthen these families. And God, for our church, to know that as we take more kingdom ground, as I expose the schemes and strategies of the devil, knowing that the enemy doesn't like it and he will come after us with everything he's got, that Lord, that we as a body, as a family, together would fight for one another and for the kingdom of God and not participate in gossip and divisive conversations and dissension but Lord, that we would see what your truth is, we would rest in that, and we would be behind what you want to accomplish. God, we thank you for your word. Let it renew our minds. Let it be something that we choose every day to gear up to put on the full armor. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.